Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning. Good to see you. Well, I wondered where all the good-looking people were at the first service, and so now I know I still don't know where they are. (laughs) Hey, thanks for joining us. I'm glad you're here. If you're here with us uh, in person, thanks for coming. Uh, If you're joining us online, glad to have you. So thankful that we can, in every way, in some way, get together during this time. We've titled our message, or a series that we're in, called Travelers. This message is about Abraham and Sarah and following after God's promises. But the series is about people in the Old Testament who lived thousands of years before us, but were none less human, none less normal, and yet we have a record of their relationship with God and what God did with them in their time. And all of them went through trials. All of them went through their 2020. Everybody did. And God took them through it by his power and his will. And so one of the things we want to do is to have examples of a narrative, a story that can, we can attach some meaning to in our own life and learn something from it. But beyond that, it's an exercise of returning to Scripture so that our hearts and our minds could be reset, so to speak, and pointed toward God. Because as it stands right now, I don't know about you, but it is for me, it's really easy to become distracted right now. It seems like there's just jackals waiting at the door, inside and out, just waiting for you to to walk through and something grabs at your attention. And so as much as we can, we need to reinfuse our bloodline. It should bleed bibline. That's a real phrase, by the way. Uh, It should bleed bibline. There should be that texture within who we are. And so that's our purpose, and I hope we do so by the Lord's will. All right, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we say this little affirmation at the beginning of the service, and you're more than welcome to join in. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I welcome all he has for me today. By his word, he guides me. By his spirit, he strengthens me. By his will, he's transforming me. I am his workmanship, his unique work of art, and may his will be done in me today, and I receive it by faith in Jesus' name. Okay, Uh, and I receive it by faith in Awesome. That's great. Good. All right. I don't know about you, but unexpected guests at dinner time can be a little bit unnerving, don't you think? I think so. It's something that most of us don't look forward to. The doorbell rings and we say, well, who can it be? I listened to a song on the way in today and it was that old song that said, who can it be now? There's someone at my door. One of my, uh, and, and, and I, I know that I'm running a risk by mentioning this publicly, but one of the, the, the comedians that I enjoy is a guy by the name of Sebastian 
uh, Maniscalco. And he talks a lot about growing up in his family, and, and it was just such great, rich, familiar humor. But he, he, he has one little bit where he talks about <clears throat> the difference between having guests over or having company over and someone knocking on the door. He said, you know, when we were kids, we would have, mom would say, we're having company over tonight. And she would have an extra pie or brownies or cookies that we're not supposed to eat. And we were excited. And when the doorbell rang, hey, it's company. We're having company. It's really great. It's coming over. And he says, have you noticed nowadays, though? Far departed from my time as a, as a child. He said, nowadays when the doorbell rings, it's like, Shh, don't make a move. Don't make a sound. Stay away from the windows. I'll see who it is. Yes, feel that, that there's been a shift, that there's a certain sense of, oh, I want my privacy. I want to, to have my place away from everybody and the attachments of it. But I can remember as a kid, we were so excited about having company over. But the truth is, nowadays, when someone knocks on the door, you're thinking, okay, do you hear the UPS truck or the FedEx? I mean, since COVID, it's like, I don't know, they're just on our street every day. It's like Groundhog's Day. All right, but what if, what if, what if the Lord showed up to your house for dinner? Doorbell rings, right? Who is it? Peek out. You're not going to believe it. <laughs> You're not going to believe it. Who is it? It's the Lord. Oh, no. Throw all the stuff that's hanging out on the floor. Put it in the laundry room. Perfect. Good idea. Great. Put all the dirty dishes inside the stove. I don't know if you know about that, but it's fantastic. Learned that when I was a bachelor. Only problem is when you preheat the oven for your pizzas. Get <laughs> a little trouble. Put the dogs in the backyard. Why? Jesus loves all the animals. Are you going to have the dog that bit Jesus? Backyard. Send the kids over to the neighbor's house to get some chips and dip. You know, we got to have something nice when we have company coming over. You know, there's an old saying about Christians. It's, it's always chips, dips, and fellowship. And you, have to, you can't have one without the other. All right. Have you seen the bathroom? Don't let him go to the bathroom. He can't go to the bathroom. Have you seen the bathroom? Yes, I've seen the bathroom. Well, what do we do? Well, quick, just lock the door. Write a little sign that says out of order. And that way they won't stay too long if they need to go to the bathroom. Whatever you do, hide the beer in the fridge. Put a loaf of bread on it or something like that. Go around the house. Get all of our Bibles. Put them on prominent display. Put them on every surface in the house and make sure they're not dusty. Right? It's a telltale sign. And for goodness sake, whatever you do, Turn off the TVs and hide the remotes. So if one of them asks to turn on the TV, we'll say, we don't even know where the remotes are. <laughs> we read our Bibles way too much. All right, Abraham has a visit. He's had visits from the Lord before. And it's about 24 years from the first time that God visited him and told him that he would be the father of a big nation. But now in chapter 18, the Lord appears once again. 
And Abraham is excited and humbled. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So, Abraham saw them coming afar off, but he knew who it was. He had had these encounters before, and he understood that it was the Lord, and he was excited. It wasn't, shh, don't say anything. No, he was excited and ran out to meet them. He recognized that it was the Lord, and so he was there. Now, what's interesting about this is he said he offers them some water for their feet. If you don't know much about biblical culture, the times back then and places where basically all that you had for footwear was barefooted or like a sandal, you didn't have the options like we have today. And so you'd walk on dusty roads, sometimes muddy roads, and your feet would get tired crusty. And so when you went to someone's house, they would offer you some water so you could wash your feet or someone would wash your feet and you'd be refreshed. You know, it's nothing like having a clean pair of feet walking into somebody's house. It's just really refreshing. He says, I want you to be comfortable here. And this is what I mean by that. So he did everything he could to be a good host, but he knew who his company was. All right, who were these three amigos, right? There are options. We're told here that there were three men standing nearby. And in verse 3, he says, If I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Here are some options. And it's not really clear exactly which way we should go with this. We know oftentimes that... The term angel is used as strictly as a messenger, so it could be just a man. Or it could be angelic beings who appear as human. Scripture tells us that many of you have entertained angels unaware. You didn't even know that angels were visiting you, but they did. That verse ran my father's life. It was interesting. Uh, We would be in the car with dad and mom would be in there and all of a sudden we'd see a hitchhiker and he would always pull over and my mom would go, Herb, we've got kids in the car. He goes, well, do kids need to be afraid of an angel? We're going to pull over. (laughs) I don't know if we ever had a real angel in the car or not, but my dad made sure if there was a possibility they were always riding with us or coming home with us. Listen. Here's the problem if these were angels or men, one of which was the Lord. He mentions speaking to the Lord, Adonai, Yahweh. The problem is, is if that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible shows up in person, 
It's a problem because we are told throughout the Torah, the Pentateuch, that to see God face to face in all of his holiness and glory, you would die. You shall surely die. You cannot withstand that. So we see God passing over uh, Moses near the rock on Sinai, and he would allow him just to see the fading point of his glory, but not stare at him directly. That is a problem. Who was it? Was, was it God there in the flesh? Because if it was, what we are told about his nature and his presence was not real, or some type of uh, correction is needed. There's also the theory that the three could represent the Lord himself as messengers. They come as messengers, not God himself, but Abraham recognizes that God is speaking to him, the Lord is speaking to him through them, you see. You say, well, how could that work? They could work representatively, uh, just like <clears throat> Moses, who was out in the wilderness, who had a burning bush speak to him. It's not like God is a burning bush, but God used his attention to focus his attention on the bush and then spoke to him through that bush as a representative. Some, and there's a lot, believe that this is what we call a Christophany. No, that's not a song written by Chris Christopherson. It's not. You guys got to get hooked up a little more. These jokes don't come at the right timing, and they're not very good. So you really got to dig down deep. Give a little, okay? A Christophany is... Uh, really defined as a sort of pre-existence or pre-appearance of Jesus prior to his incarnation birth. That it would be, you know, some have said that uh, Melchizedek in the Old Testament, this priest, was Jesus himself. And there's some uh, theories that are compelling for that. Hard thing is, is we're not told exactly in the text, so we have to leave it toward conjecture, even though it may be a very educated guess. Most important, though, most important in all of this, is that Abraham knew it was the Lord. He had met with God enough times that he understood his voice, he felt his presence, and he knew who he was speaking to, Right? Question is, is God welcome in your house? Well, not when it's messy. Is he seen as an honored guest in your home, in your relationships? Abraham welcomed his presence, and so should we. That's the example here. He should be the most welcome guest in our home. And you say, well, of course, the Lord goes with me wherever I go, but there is a certain compartmentalization that takes place in our lives, right? You go out to work, you do your shopping, you do your socializing, but if you're like me, when you get back home, it's sort of like lock the gate, put the alligators back in the moat, and uh, God help anybody who makes it through. Because once I get in my home, I, I like, you know, I've already got my clothes laid out for the afternoon plaid pajamas, perfect socks and house shoes, a book, and, you know, I mean, I'm there. You think I'm joking? I'm not. I love it. But 
The home should be the place where God is most welcomed, that we listen for his voice, we consider him throughout the day, recognizing that by his Holy Spirit, he has entered our home, entered our lives, and yet we may forget that fact. You know, it's easy for us to designate between the sacred and the um, secular. But if you're truly a Christ follower, if you're a believer in God, there's no separation between secular and the sacred. Because it is always with the Lord. It is always in his presence. It is never separated. And it never needs to be in the life of a believer. All right. <clears throat> he... Abraham and Sarah were great hosts. What they did is, he said, quick, Sarah, go get some uh, flour and make some bread. I'm going to go out to the field. I'll get a, a wonderful calf, tender, and I'll make it prepare, and I'll get some curds and some milk. That's basically chip and dip back in their day. And I'll have that all prepared and set it before them. And while they ate, he stood at the tree, right? And this is not a story about just being a gracious host, welcoming the Lord into your family, welcoming the Lord into your home. It was, I believe, more important for the Lord himself to come and visit Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah had been delivered this message that they would become a great nation, but it had been a long time. And it had been repeated to them more than twice, once. And so God shows up. You see, it's primarily in my belief about the Lord spending time with his servants, breaking bread and reaffirming his promise to them. You see, there's just something about sharing a meal with a friend, isn't it? It's so human and it's so satisfying. I mean, I thank God in the privacy of my heart throughout the day and even sometimes vocally just about the wonderful nature of food. If we don't eat food, what happens? Well, you lose weight. <laughs> no, uh, if you don't eat, you eventually die, right? Because we need food to live. We need sustenance that this body will continue to, to move along. Why did, he, why did he bless us so much with like, okay, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to eat every day because you need fuel to burn for your body. By the way, I'm going to make it delicious. And you're going to love every meal. You know, I mean, that, that's just awesome when I think of it. I mean, he could have had it where he's like, all right, take these little pills this dried protein powder. God bless you. Have fun. I mean, you'd people find you would stop eating. Nothing there. But there's nothing like sharing a meal with another human being. And so imagine this. You have God who's making this big promise, this big deal with Abraham, the kind of deal that affects nations. It has an impact that has affected the whole world that we are now living in and has for thousands of years. God comes down and goes to dinner, and he shows up, and he fellowships with him, 
and he meets his servant where his servant needs him. You see, they needed this assurance from God, and God was glad to oblige them. You know, it's been stated many times that the the setting of the gospel in the New Testament with Jesus is mostly a setting around a table. Because you find Jesus sitting at a table and eating with folks and enjoying them. In fact, he had a nickname. He liked to eat and hang out so much that he had the nickname of he eats with sinners. The sinners must have had the good food, I'm guessing. I don't know. All the sinners I know know where to eat. No. Listen, that is what they needed. Intimacy is being built around a table, around fellowshipping. Because here's the idea. A lot of the ways that they would eat at that time is that it was more family style. And so you'd take your bread and you'd dip it, dip it into the sauce. Have you tried my sauce, Jesus? This is amazing. I got it from my grandmother. I get the sausages from my uncle. I mean, it's beautiful. It's sharing. It's, it's like you're taking in the same food, and it's, it's affecting both of you, and somehow it unites you in a way. That's what's so stinking wrong about this coronavirus. You know why I wear a mask? Not when I'm preaching. Um, I don't want people to think I'm ashamed of what I'm saying. But you know why I wear a mask? Because I want our state to go yellow so I can go back to the restaurants. It's the only reason. Purely selfish reasons. Have so many folks, hey, we ought to go out to eat. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? We're not going out to eat for a long time. Getting together, there's, there's just something that's missing. Right? It's that intimacy. God gives it. All right. When you think of God, you don't always think about someone with a sense of humor. Until you see some of the people that he's created and you're like, you're hilarious, God. My uncle? You're kidding me. But we find in this next little section that Sarah... Abraham's wife responds in a way that is very common among us, and she responds to a certain incongruity, that something is out of place, and it causes her to laugh. Verse 9, where is your wife Sarah, they ask. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening to the, at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. By the way, people who live in a household with other people, aren't you always nosy when they're on the phone? Like they answer the phone, you hear some kind of in the background. So you start moving a little closer. And then finally, eventually you make eye contact and you say, who's on the phone with you? I'm on the phone. I'm on the phone. I can't talk. Who's on? Okay. She's eking to the tent, to the edge, listening, okay? And she heard. Abraham and Sarah were very old, okay? And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. She was in her 90s, and Abraham was 99, pushing 100. So Sarah 
being a good-humored gal as she was, seeing the incongruence, she said, she laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? It's one of those, are you kidding me, really? Are you kidding me now? This is when it's going to happen? We've been told this for 24 years. I mean, come on. It's going to happen now? Have you seen me lately? I mean, it it would have been a miracle way back when, but now it's really going to be a miracle. See, she was caught off guard, okay? I'm not supposed to have a baby. That's, That's not in the cards for me. It wasn't when I was younger, and certainly not now. But here's the thing. God will take something that catches us by surprise and make us laugh and give us a blessing that lasts beyond the initial shock. I read a little something by a pastor by the name of Ben Patterson in quoting theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. He said he once preached a brilliant sermon on humor and faith. He described humor as a prelude to faith, meaning that it is our sense of the incongruous that lead us to trust God. The same human faculty that enables us to laugh at an arrogant man slipping on a banana peel is what can open us up to faith. We laugh at the incongruity of the contrast between his arrogance and his false dignity on the one hand and the humiliation and indignity of his fall on the other. That kind of humor can serve us very well in the everyday occurrences of our lives. It helps us to stand outside of ourselves. It can Okay, help us to avoid pretense and sham. It can be a guard against taking ourselves too seriously. I've done that many times. If you've ever had a day in which everything was going wrong and you were able at finally at the end of the day to sort of fix things and make it right, all of that incongruity, what happened to you, listen, is what you're actually getting. So, so here's the point. God has given us a sense of humor, okay? A home filled with laughter is a home filled with love. A home filled with laughter is a home filled with love. And where there is no laughter, my friends, <clears throat> there is no hope. Isn't it great when, when you can finally laugh about something? You ever get in an argument with somebody and then you hear the words coming out of your mouth and they sound so stupid that one of you starts to giggle and then you start laughing and you realize, what are we doing? That's the dumbest thing I've ever said in my life. And the the other person says, yeah, it was. It was absolutely the worst. What were we arguing about? I don't know. Let's go eat. You see, what... God will do is say, I know this is irony. I know this is ironic. I know that this shouldn't be working in your mind, that the facts don't match up with what I'm saying. And I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with catching you by surprise, even making you laugh in the midst of it. Because then that laughter, she reveals something that she needs to hear from God. And it's something that we all need to hear. 
Okay, the, the angel or the Lord said, why did she laugh? Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Why did she say that? And this is his response. He said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Good question. From the Lord's view, from the angel's view, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Do you think that that's out beyond his reach? And you say, yeah, Dave, we know that. We know God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He, has, he knows everything. Uh, he, we know that. We only know that if we live by it on a day-to-day basis. You've got to start living. We've got to live like we believe this is true on a daily basis before it has a real internal impact in our lives, stretching beyond ourselves to those around us. That's the only way this kind of thing works. That's the only way this works. So Sarah was afraid. She was afraid. Just like everybody else. So what happens when she's afraid? She lied. (laughs) Great woman of faith. I love her. She's normal. What? Did you just lie to God? I mean, can you imagine that moment? You know, the Lord is there. And Sarah's like, I didn't laugh. And can you imagine, like, the Lord? Really? Sarah? Sarah? Really? Like, I heard your thoughts that you just sort of mentioned it to you. You laughed to yourself. I heard that. I kind of happened to know the future. I can fulfill commitments. Nothing is really too hard for me. Really? We're going to start lying in front of me now? But she did. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Don't lie. Listen, the irony and the shock caused Sarah to laugh quickly. But it was a real question for all of us. Should we be limiting God in the way that we think about him and about our current situations. Do we consider this as true or a fact or a type of occurrence that is only meant for the Bible and people in Bible stories? It doesn't, it doesn't have any real play in my life today. Well, I believe it's meant for us as well. It's just we forget that. Is there anything too hard for God? Now, <clears throat> Let's make a little distinction here. A distinction should be made between things that you really want, things that you desire, believing that God has told you that he's going to give you these things, and you constantly work and try to figure out a way to make sure that God gets it done. Go outside, you look at your car, It was really a blessing when you first bought it. Thank you, Lord. I'm so blessed. Five years later, you're like, God, why have you cursed me with this thing? And you look out at it and you say, you know, I think God wants me to have something better. And so you're driving by the Mercedes-Benz dealership and you see that big, huge sedan and it's a perfect car. Everything is made on it perfect. You're like, if God was going to make a car, he'd make this car. 
And you look at the price tag, and normally you would say, that's impossible. But nothing's impossible with you, God. Here's the difference. That prayer may not get answered, not so much. This was something that came from God, that it was hard for Abraham and Sarah to believe and to receive. That's the difference. They tried to help God. Remember we saw this last week? Take my servant girl. We'll have a kid with her. Didn't work out so well. Trying to help God out. You see, they're still grappling with his promise and his provision and how he's going to do it. And that's a completely different story than trying to manipulate God for something that you want. This is God telling you something that he wants for you, and it's difficult for you to comprehend and take it. Those are the times that we're asked to believe by faith because God continually pursues the issue in our lives. Does that make sense? Can anybody say amen this morning? All right, good. The reason I say, ask people to say amen because it wakes up the other people around you who had a big breakfast before second service. Hey, I'm calling them like I see them. Sorry. Listen. Twenty twenty one. It's time for us to believe more, trust more, and fight our unbelief. We're faced with a lot of things <laughs> these days. I don't care who you are, what political stance you have <clears throat> or don't have, religious beliefs, faith in God. We're all facing new and serious trials. If there was ever a time to be asking ourselves, is there anything too hard for God? Now's the time. Because we might see some of the greatest works that God has done just by simply believing and trusting in Him and say, let's trust God and let's see what happens. So chapter 22 rolls around, and what happens? A year later, Abraham's 100 years old. On his 100th birthday, he gets a son. What do they name this son? Isaac. Isaac. What does his name mean? He who laughs. Abraham laughed in chapter 17 when God spoke to him and told him that, you know, Ishmael is not going to be the heir. You're going to have a real son. You're going to have a son from you and Sarah. And and he laughed in front of the Lord. He laughed. Oh, come on. God, can't we just make Ishmael the heir? It would make it all so much easier. I'm getting tired already. He laughed. Sarah hears it. She laughs. What is their family built on now? The heritage of laughter that comes from God's promises that says to themselves and to the world, can you believe it? (laughs) I mean, they're walking around town. Oh, what a beautiful great-grandson you have. Shut up. You don't know anything. Laughter. I didn't expect it. 
I didn't expect it. I think of a story of a guy by the name of Charles McCoy. He was a pastor of a Baptist church in Oyster Bay, New York. The story comes to us through a book uh, about Bob Pierce. It's titled This One Thing I Do. Brilliant story, brilliant book about faith. But it talks about this pastor who had multiple PhDs, but he turned 72 and his denomination said, you got to get out of here. He's like, what, Lord, what am I going to do? I spent all my life teaching. I spent all my life getting all these degrees. What am I going to do? Move down to a retirement home in Florida and live out my days? What will I do with myself? And so on a whim, he, invited, he met a pastor from India. He invited him to come and preach. And he did. And the man said, listen, I want you to come to India and preach for me. He says, why? I'm going to move to a retirement village. He goes, you got all the time in the world to do that. Come to India and do me the favor and you preach for me. So he gets there, loses his luggage, loses his uh, wallet, and loses his uh, passport. And he's thinking, okay, I guess I'll be here for a long time. And someone told the mayor of the town that he was coming in and he had all of these. Someone had given him a card and saw all of his, his uh, academic um, achievements. Invited him to come and speak to all of the leaders of the city. And eventually, okay, eventually... <clears throat> Churches were started all over the world in the next 12 years of his life. He died at 88. 16 years, excuse me, 16 years of ministry. Churches in Calcutta, churches in Hong Kong. He always just made just enough money to get to the next place where he was to minister. And he died one afternoon in Calcutta waiting in a hotel, resting to go preach that evening. He had no idea what God had planned for him. And you may be thinking today, oh, you know, I, I've done everything that God wants me to do. Maybe not. I would never be able to do that. Maybe not. But surely God can. Surely God can through you. Surely God can through me. Because is there anything too difficult for the Lord? If God can use a donkey to speak to Balaam, he can certainly use someone like me to preach the gospel. God can use us all. As we consider this meal today, we're going to take communion in just a moment. I'm reminded of all the meals that Jesus had with his disciples and friends. And finally he said, I'm going to give you myself. This bread that we're going to eat is my body broken for you. This cup, this fruit of the vine, this juice, wine, is my blood which was spilled for you. As often as you eat this meal, do it in remembrance of me. This may be the smallest meal you eat this month, but it is truly the most significant. And if you're watching here 
by the internet or you're here in the service today, let me just tell you, if you're thinking, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I don't have any connection with Him, I think uh, I've mostly thought of religion as hogwash, but let me just tell you something, folks. You, you, You say, well, I can't see God, so He doesn't exist. Yeah, you breathe air all day long and you can't see it unless you've had garlic, and then you can always see that air sort of floating, sort of green. But you get the point. Open your mind. Maybe God will do something with you. I can't imagine a world without God. I can't imagine a world without His existence, without His interaction, His interplay with humanity, and neither should you. So you can write where you are, just ask God for forgiveness and He will forgive you. He will fill you with His Holy Spirit and bring you in and sup with you and share your life and fellowship. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for the things that we've done that are in rebellion against you, that are wrong, that we should never do, that are against your will. We pray you'd forgive us, Lord, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We also pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for the things that we've left undone out of disobedience, just laziness, apathy, the things that you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that you allow us to go back into your field and work call people. Tell them about the good news, for truly it is. It is a faith, Lord, founded in laughter, founded in joy, the joy of the Lord. We take this bread, Lord, in honor of your broken body that was broken for us, and we do this in remembrance of you, Jesus. In the same way, Lord, your precious blood, the life of a human being, the life of one that was perfect, in honor of your name, we take this cup and we accept your provision. And we're so thankful for all you've done. We receive it by faith in Jesus' name. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.